I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with activist journalist Mark Thompson. Thompson is host of the daily podcast, Make It Plain. He is also a longtime political and civil rights activist. Hey, man, full disclosure for the people that are listening. You and I were texting over the holidays talking about what is coming up politically for uh, us all, quite frankly. So I wanted to see if we could share some of the things that we talked about. Let me first get your idea about um, the Biden administration and what we have seen so far. It really has been a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, and thanks, as always, Ed, for having me on. I, I think that the, the Biden administration um, has kind of been OK. I mean, it's been kind of, of stagnant. But, I mean, they've done the minimum. I think this is the first time in history, though, where we're finding, I can think of another historical example where a single senator from the White House's own party has this much power and holds this much sway. And I think that's, that's hurt Biden greatly. I also think, as we've seen with a lot of Democrats over the past number of years, an inability to message. So even some of the good things he's able to do, they're not able to turn that over, market it, capitalize on it. And I think ultimately the biggest problem in 2022 is going to be this. 
I think the the consultant class, which pretty much controls the Democratic Party and the White House, is convinced that everybody's just going to come out and do what they did in 2020. And I think that's a big mistake. I think morale is down. I think there's nothing to show, really tangible to show. Um, Build Back Better isn't happening. Voting rights haven't happened. Uh, George Floyd bill hasn't happened. Uh, and frankly, the, the bill I've worked so tirelessly, tirelessly on, H.R. 40, has 215 votes um, ready for passage, Ed, and they won't even bring that to the floor. So I think that's going to be a problem. So let's get into some of those in specific. As you uh, suggest, it's not just the Biden administration that has a problem with messaging. We've seen the Democrats for the last decade or so have a problem with messaging, and I don't see anything that makes me believe they're going to figure out how to message what they need to better and energize a base that, quite frankly, believes, look, we did what we needed to do for you. Now it's your turn. Right. I would agree. And not only has the messaging not improved, not only is the Democratic Party not evolving in terms of messaging, but uh, others in the Democratic Party bases messaging is itself evolving. For example, Many of the, the voter registration groups and, and coalitions that you and I know and work with are saying, look, we're tired of, of carrying this water. We're tired of having to mobilize voters, even though you all don't give us anything to mobilize with. And those groups are seeing their credibility um, being put in jeopardy. So, you know, I, I think they want to take for granted that this is going to happen this way. The difference between this and what happened in 2012 with Obama, remember, people were mobilized because they felt their voting rights were under assault. That sometimes is a great motivator. In this situation, we were motivated by that in 2020, voted for someone that we were told was going to fix these voting rights problems and literally has not done it. An elementary school student, uh, uh, Ed, when you go to, go, take, go to class, go to history class, you learn about all the presidents, all the great presidents, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, on down the list. But there's not a there's not a lesson in school <laughs> where they talk about a member of the president's own party preventing delivery to the base. Something's wrong with that. And I think that's a major political failure. And I think it's going to be manifest in a lot of these groups. Like I'm saying, I don't I don't think the same motivation is going to be there. So let's get into Joe Manchin um, and to a lesser degree, Kristen Sinema, uh, you know, kind of holding hostage the Democratic Party. Uh, my issue is that Joe Biden still thinks this is 1960 and he can wheel the bully pulpit as did LBJ and make things happen. Uh, I'm not sure that politics is as it was in the 60s. Well, actually, I, I don't know why he would think that because it's not happening. Uh, we wish that this were an LBJ type of thing. But, but I'm going to tell you, I mean, what LBJ did behind the scenes was important. LBJ could wield that bully pulpit, but he also took meetings. He called people. He made he cut deals. I mean, that is the art of politics. Um, the problem is either Joe Biden isn't doing that or doesn't know how to do that. Uh, or you're de literally dealing with someone like a Joe Manchin who's just that immoral. Think about it. I mean, if you are president, we might do like LBJ. Call Joe Manchin and say, hey, man, your district or your state, really, West Virginia, needs A, B, C, and D. Let's get that for your state. The, the thing that's nefarious about Joe Manchin, though, he is playing to the Trump base, mm -hmm. even though the votes that put him over the top to be reelected re senator were Black and progressive white votes in West Virginia. He's saying to hell with him. He only wants to play to that one segment. And I don't know what you do, do with that. Uh, he's obviously for sale. 
Um, but the Biden administration hasn't figured out a way to do just like LBJ. LBJ was just was much more than just speeches. Oh, no question. Uh, but that's why I think, to your point, it's the latter, because if you look at Joe Biden's history, that's what he kind of ran on, the idea that I can go across the aisle, let alone within my party, and get these guys to play ball if I need to. He did that in the Senate for many years, but he's finding it difficult now. I don't think he's forgotten how to do it. I think the times have just changed, quite frankly. And I don't know that LBJ could do the kind of wrangling and arm twisting that he did if he were in today's times, but we would, you know, that we don't know that. Here's a question I have for Joe Madison, who was on the show uh, not long ago. He and I disagreed slightly. Okay. Uh, I said that, as you know, I, I, I did the book a couple of years back ab about needing new narratives. And that's what we've got to look to. But we also have to be brave. I saw um, many people who were disappointed with the Biden administration in terms of where they've been, run and take that photo up when they thought that Build Back Better was going to happen. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure that they're getting anything beyond the photo op. Joe suggested that, look, when you're there, you don't want to walk away from the invitation, but you've got to talk to him when you have his ear. I think this is much bigger, bigger than the one minute you'll have with him in a rose garden or in the oval to whisper in his ear. This has got to be something different. What's your thought? I, I agree. Um, I, I think that 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 fishbowl uh, inside the beltway um, and it becomes a mutual admiration society. I think that environment probably also is not helping um, because sometimes when people coming out of the White House and take those pictures, they actually aren't. Now, Joe Madison may be an exception, but a lot of folk aren't doing that. They aren't being honest. Right. You know, they're just happy to be there. Oh, Mr. President. Oh, Kamala Harris. Oh, it's so good to see you. And they're not really being honest. <laughs> like maybe you or I might be. If we were invited to say, hey, man, come here, let me holler at you for a minute. Uh, this ain't working. What you're doing isn't making any sense. Um, and I think that's that's a great disservice. Uh, again, that's sort of that uh, uh, consultant class. You also kind of see something. Now, a lot of people didn't really talk. I've talked about this, but I haven't heard a lot of other people notice this, and I may be the only one who noticed it, but I challenge people to go back and look. When we had, they had that big reception at the White House and the Build Back Better and all that, and, and nothing came of it. Um, at the end, when Joe Biden was about to sign on the, sign the legislation on the desk, Ed, um, Kamala Harris, uh, this, I'm sorry, this was the infrastructure. Kamala Harris, the physical infrastructure, Kamala Harris had to literally push her way mm -hmm. up to the podium to stand with the president while he signed it. And even a Marine had to help escort her. That has concerned me, too. I think that she has been somewhat of an afterthought. Uh, I think they were the White House and the vice president's office um, were have been a little bit naive in the assaults on her, especially coming from publications like Politico, they clearly have decided they're going to kneecap the first black woman vice president. Never this type of coverage before in the history of the coverage of vice presidencies. So I think that's been handled poorly. I, I think that, that there are a lot of things. It seems as if the White House has decided everybody should just be happy that Trump is gone. That's all we are. We're just the alternative to Trump. And if you don't want him to come back, you better vote for us. But I don't think I don't think that's going to work. Yet that is uh, what we've seen, is what ushered Biden into the White House. It wasn't simply because 
people were so excited to have Joe Biden uh, at 1600. It was anybody but. And, you know, uh, save uh, Representative Clyburn, we would not have seen this at the end of the day. So what can be done, if anything, to change that? Because I think as we're walking into the year of the midterms, we're going to see historically it has happened. uh, You know, those that hold office tend to lose seats, if nothing else in the House, maybe not the Senate, but if nothing else in the House. How do you make sure that you energize a base that you heretofore haven't given anything to energize them with? Black folk feel like I did my duty. I said this earlier. I'm waiting for the payment. And, you know, the check is not coming in the mail as yet. This is January. Democrats are going to have to do something. They're going to have to deliver. They're going to have to have something to show. Um. Some of the Democrats who helped Joe Biden get elected, however, are also of the same political mind that they don't want to do anything controversial in an election year. They may have to um, because there is nothing to show. Um, There were a lot of things that could have taken place last year and they were held up. People don't want to get involved in controversy, but uh, they're going to have to do something. Um, about policing. They're going to have to make some strong statements about that, try to continue to try to get that legislation passed. Same thing goes for voting rights. I mean, and that's really the existential issue um, because Republicans are suppressing and gerrymandering their way back into office. In fact, the the margin is so slim in the House, they could literally gerrymander the difference uh, no matter what we do. So Democrats are going to have to come up with some strategy for that and and have, you know, the backbone and the courage um, uh, to call it out. So uh, if that doesn't happen and and something else, and this may sound vulgar, this is what I'm about to say is very political and it may seem crass to something, but politics is politics is not church. Um, Joe, uh, Joe Manchin's for sale. We know he's being paid off by the fossil fuel industry and the pharmaceutical industry and all of that. Uh, This isn't the 1980s, even the 1990s, Democrats have money. now, And uh, Joe Biden might just need to pick up that phone and say, what is your asking price? Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that's going to move him. And again, I know that may sound, you know, a a little out there for people, but I mean, that's really what it boils down to. This is someone who is one person because again, it's the filibuster too. It's voting rights. All of that is tied to that procedure. And folks be clear. If Democrats lose the house and the Senate in 2022, McConnell's going to get rid of the filibuster. He's already given us a heads up. He did it for Supreme Court nominees. He's going to do it for everything. The filibuster's got to go. And you mentioned Cinema, Ed. You know, her argument is nonsensical. Well, if we get rid of the filibuster, what's going to happen when we're in the minority? If you don't get rid of the filibuster, you are guaranteed to be in the minority. Um, it's it, This should not be a heavy lift if Democrats want to survive. But the whole base is upset, it, it be the African-American. Uh, the immigrant community, the labor community, uh, uh, women. I mean, you you can't piss off everybody in your base and expect to win. So they're going to have to figure something out. So here's what's interesting to me. Uh, We're not even talking about the infighting that we see between moderates uh, and progressives, which is um, a bigger gulf than I've ever seen. It's always been in the Democratic Party, but this is a bigger gulf than I can remember in a mighty long time. Um, do you think democratic leadership is up to snuff? If we're talking about house leadership, for example, there were some people that weren't in favor of either infrastructure 
or build back better. They were able to pull that off. They were able, Nancy Pelosi was able to get people to line up on that. Um, when it comes to the Senate, see, that's the question. What is Democratic leadership in the Senate? Chuck Schumer cannot get the Senate in line. Um, Joe Biden clearly can't. So there may not be any real leadership per se. And Manchin may be the de facto leader. So the, the, I think the question then becomes, and I, and I take your question too, not just being in terms of legislative process, but just overall in terms of messaging. As I alluded to before, and, and you know this well, you've watched it unfold over the years. There is this consultant class it, um, <laughs> that it really is not helping the Democratic Party at all. Uh, and it's not really helping leadership say the right things and do the right things. And, and I think that's problematic. I'll give an example. Uh, there were House leaders, Democratic House leaders who were enraged about the term defund in 2020. Oh, defund killed us. Well, no, no, you, you, you won the House again. And in fact, most people knew what defund meant. People sometimes assigned their own meetings, but it wasn't that detrimental because it actually motivated a younger base of voters to come out. So what's going to do that this time? The fact that you haven't, that you haven't done anything, that you haven't seen anything through. And the average American um, looks at this and just cannot comprehend why a, a party with, with a majority in the House and Senate and the White House cannot get anything done um, under its own fruition because of members of its own party. So I, I think the leadership, now that's who I think may be as outdated as, as Joe Biden may be, to think this is just going to go the way it always has. This, it, the mm -hmm. old stuff just isn't going to work. There has to be some new blood. There has to be some, some new thinking and even some courageous and revolutionary thinking. It, that's what, what motivates people. That's what gets people up and going. This whole thing of well, we just can't do anything because we can't do anything about this procedure. I don't think that I think that has run its course. I don't think that's going to work. And I think more Americans are attuned to the ridiculous argument that maintaining the filibuster somehow is useful. I don't think anybody's really buying that anymore. Let me see if I can use your term consultants uh, class and and put it to black leadership, because I okay. would. And this is where I get in trouble sometimes with our friends. Uh, but I would suggest that I don't see the courageous nature we need to see in black leadership. And yeah. these things that were important to us, the people that put you in these seats became backseat issues for this party. How do we get our leadership, in quotes, to do something different, to be courageous? And I, maybe I'm missing it. I don't see the no. courageousness I want to see. No, you, you're absolutely right. I, well, in, to start with the last part, how, what do we do? And I think that's what's unique about um, your career and the brand of journalism you've offered us and those of us who um, have done our best to emulate you. you we've got to, people like you and I and everybody else, we've got to provide a, a form uh, to those in leadership who are courageous, because it's always the same. Watch this, y'all. The 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 non-courageous people you're talking about it are the ones who are going to the White House for those visits most times. Um, the ones who are courageous are the ones we're not seeing <laughs> in the photo ops. That's just the way politics goes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know some people who are raising questions and asking questions. At at the minimum, again, what I'm hearing is 
none, no one is re- ready to go out here and carry water and beat the bushes if we have nothing to show for it. That's what people are saying. Now, I don't know if people going to take the pictures of saying that. I, I think not. And, and, and there are a few people I know who are not. And I get people want to be polite and access is important and all of that. But politicians don't move unless there's some human cry in the streets. Um, and uh, I, I think it's coming. Um, I, I think even those who've lacked some courage have bought, got caught up in the procedure. Oh, like you said, we're going to pivot and we're going to go to voting rights and this is going to happen. Uh, I think that may be naive on their part. I think that this is going to come to um, a, a really uh, extinction extinction level moment, so to speak. When once people really realize that nothing is going to be done about voter suppression or gerrymandering, once it becomes existential that nothing being done, no matter how much noise we make, no matter how many voters we register, nothing being done is can't does nothing to offset the gerrymandering and the suppression mm-hmm. i think once once that happens a lot of people are gonna are gonna be heard from um and hopefully will speak out as loudly as those like us and like those who are not on the invitation list anymore well i would say that we are at the existential point already yeah not once it becomes i think we're there and i want to make it clear uh i'm not bemoaning the fact that the folks that get the invitations aren't doing anything. Uh, yeah. You know, they are out there. I give them credit for that. I salute them. You know, one can argue is more than than what I do beyond just this platform. But I can also say from a distance that doing the same thing is not working, and that we have to change gears and move a little faster, a little harder, demand a bit more with our with our hands clenched rather than open palm, please, 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 to quote James Brown. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, the Supreme Court states rights and new political narratives. visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in-depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio-political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s to its enduring impact today. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form. We dive into the socio-cultural aspects that gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mark and I agreed that in order to see real monumental political change, there should be new narratives from leadership in the streets and on Capitol Hill. I asked what he'd like to see from leaders. When we talk about leadership, frankly, you know, I, I think that that also includes some of our elected officials, some in the Black Caucus and whatnot. And, you know, let's be honest, you and I talk to members of the CBC. They don't even agree on everything. Um, it, 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 in fact, sometimes there's a culture within the CBC that creates a level of, of mutual deterrence between members. So one member should not outshine or overshadow another which kind of suppresses uh, the ability to, to speak out uh, as a CBC member and say, no, no, this is what should happen. This is what we should do. Um, the, the kind of, of rank and authority that exists, where we don't want to overstep the bounds of someone who's in leadership who might be Black. Um, I think that's something that, that we should be um, very, very concerned about. What happened last year, and we got Juneteenth legislation, but Ed, I can't remember a single demonstration um, in 2020 that 
was a demonstration on behalf of a national holiday. Yeah. It's nice, but that's not what people were really out in the streets clamoring for. And so to have that put up as if there's something we wanted, I think is problematic. And well, let's be clear too, Mark, that the Republicans understood that that was a bone that they could throw to say, wait a minute, look what we did. What do you mean we don't work with you? It was an easy bone for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, I I think the narrative has to be in the immediate, um, more outspokenness uh, when it comes to the filibuster, which is an, an arcane procedure that is rooted in the period of enslavement and the in the period of lynching and everything else. And also, as I alluded to before, at, at, at the risk of, of, of sounding self-serving for an issue I'm working on, it says a lot about where we are. When you have 215 Democrats, either 200 of them co-sponsors, another 15 is guaranteed yes votes for the Kanye's bill, uh, H.R. 40. What's up with that? Why can't that come to the floor? What is the fear? Something like that that would let people know, wait a minute, they're really trying to do something. And the interesting thing about the politics of that is um, we know that'll get blocked in the Senate. Uh, Cory Booker has a companion uh, reparations bill. Mm-hmm. Um, but Biden's been selling wolf tickets. He says, well, it, it's, a, it's a commission. So if it passes the House, Biden has hinted, well, if it passes the House, I'll go ahead and do it by executive order. He could do that today. Um, but we'll give him that. House leadership needs to bring it to the floor. That would benefit the party. Uh, and, and mind you, folks, 215 people on a bill is not 215 members of the Black Caucus either. Ain't but 50 or 60 members of the Black Caucus. So that means over 100 other people <laughs> on that bill are white. One person in particular who was considered a bellwether was Connor Lamb because he's running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Oh, he's moderate. We can't hurt him with this bill. Well, right before Christmas, guess what? Connor Lamb signed on to H.R. 40. So what's what's the holdup? Mm-hmm. That's something that that would help. And then if that were to pass with the 215, we only need three more. We're not even counting Nancy Pelosi, who says she's going to vote for the bill. Um, so that's 216 right there. Um, if that were to pass, I think Biden, we have a case for Biden to say, OK, let me do this by executive order. Then that would give us something. Because you can't do voting rights, George Floyd, build back better and all that by executive order, unfortunately. Would that if he could, but you can't. But you can do H.R. 40 um, by executive order. And if that were to happen, that would give people something to be motivated about, I think, uh, something that they could we could we could go with and run with. It's not to negate those other things. But if you don't have that, and if you don't have any of those other things, I, I think the only narrative the Democratic Party is going to have at the end of 2022 is a, is a narrative of great loss. Now, lastly, let me say, we also Ed, have to account for um, Republican mishaps and foolishness. I mean, sure enough, they're going to do some things that on their own. And I think the consultant class counts too much on this, but they're going to do some things. Trump and others are going to do some things that are going to motivate us. But I mean, it is, is we, you know, we're getting ready for um, Super Bowl season. You got to come with your offense. Mm-hmm. You have to come with your game plan. You, you don't walk out on the field uh, hoping that the other team is just going to play poorly and make mistakes. What is your plan? What is your offense? And I think that's once again, something that the Democratic Party is lacking. And that has to be the narrative of having a better offense and listening to the base even more. Uh, and doing delivering for the base 
is the narrative I think the Democratic Party should be shifting toward. Well, that goes back to what I suggested in terms of new narratives, because they have not had a good offense, quite frankly, for the last decade. Uh, And and we've not seen it. Let me uh, ask you about a couple of things uh, before we close out here. Yesterday uh, marked the one year anniversary of the insurrection. Uh, You know, we don't know whether or not we're going to see the real kind of justice that should have been served out at the end of the day for all of those um, who uh, desecrated uh, what many thought to be uh, unthinkable. Um, What do you think in terms of, was that the first sign of democracy uh, on the run in this country? I think that that was a a culminating uh, sign. I think that was a cumulative sign. For those of us who sleep, eat, and drink politics and democracy like you and I, I mean, we've been seeing this coming for some time. We saw this pretty much as soon as Trump was elected off. Actually, we can go back to that. We can go back to 2000. You know, people want to do this uh, hagiography of, of, of George W. Bush, but we saw what happened in 2000. And at other points along the way, frankly, we saw what happened in, in 04 as well. So this was, was a culminating act. Um, where we saw it in full physical and and brutal display. Um, Those who were slow in coming to to the realization that democracy is in jeopardy, it always has been, um, now should be wide awake uh, to its reality. And it should inspire us us to look at it across the board. So we can can talk about uh, the drama of January 6th. But again, what about the filibuster? where a minority is able to overrule the majority. The, the term we used for that in the 80s and 90s was apartheid. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, what, that's what we have. So I think that this should be an opportunity. It should be a call to look at every aspect of the democracy, uh, from the physical and brutal violence to, to Trump, to the suppression, to the gerrymandering, to the filibuster, and to having non-representative elected officials whom we elect and whom choose to ignore. As you look at that on a spectrum, Joe Manchin is at the, at the height of that spectrum, ignoring those who elect him. So many po- folk in West Virginia are impoverished. It's, it's shameful. Won't do nothing. Build Back Better would help them. He won't even do that for them. And then a little bit further down on that spectrum are the Joe Bidens, who say, oh, gosh, all shucks. I've been around. Elect me. You got to elect me. Well, Joe, we need you to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm going to get to it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you know the glad handing, that too is also um, a flaw in our democratic process. And we're going to have to go back to, as I always say, some good old school freedom fighting to do what's necessary to be sure that we have some democracy, especially uh, for our people, for African-Americans in this country. Let me ask you about what we don't talk about enough anymore. I remember coming up as a youngster, we always heard about the Supreme Court and the cases in front of it. Uh, But what we're seeing right now, Mark, is this assault on um, the idea of not using the words states' rights. Right. But it's front and center. Yeah. Whether it's the abortion case that's going to sit in front of it, whether it's the gun control that uh, sits in front of it with the New York State uh, versus Buren, the idea that states are going to be able to determine uh, you know, what is done. That's what Republicans are doing in a very, I don't want to say quiet way, but they're doing it in a way that I think most people aren't paying enough attention. 
they're not only doing it in a quiet way, but they've been doing it in a very persistent and patient way. Now, here's a here's another argument that, that I've heard that some would say co- would contradict everything I've been saying. But let me let me in fairness, let me put it out there. You take, for example, Roe v. Wade. They've been fighting that for 50 years. Um, a lot of people would have given up, but they're on the precipice of victory in terms of over, overthrowing Roe vis-a-vis either the federal Supreme Court or the state's situation. I mean, de facto, it is taking place in the mm-hmm. state's federal mm-hmm. court. The Supreme Court won't intervene. So some would say to me, well, Mark, you know, what you and Ed to talk about is fine, but maybe we need to have the same um, patience and persistence. Uh, but I think I think we have been doing that. Um, but I also think that there are things that can happen right now to prevent that. I also find it interesting, even in, in Biden's own circle, um, there are problems. Remember when he appointed this the Commission on Expansion of the Supreme Court, and they made an announcement that they didn't think it was a good idea to expand the court early on. And I heard that, and I just kind of said, oh, I guess it is what it is. I didn't agree. But then of late, we're hearing from individuals on that, that that wasn't exactly the case. And these are people who are not considered, you know, the most revolutionary firebrands in society. So I I think that's the signal. Put all these things together. Once once again, you have a party that is getting bad advice, giving bad advice, rather than just err on the side of what the people elected them to do, if not for those people. I'm talking about the entire base of the Democratic Party, which is the biggest city. The Democratic Party is a number of many parties. Within it, we have our interests as African-Americans. We have interests of poor and working class, which Reverend Barber is is aptly representing. We have the interests of women and of organized labor. And to have all that in one place and to ignore it and play to one segment of the population, because the New York Times and other mainstream Beltway media think they're more important Trump voters. Let's do stories on Trump voters. For what? Uh, because they think they're more important. Politicians and these consult this consultant class plays to that. This is what we need to be concerned about. What what they're sleeping on are those in the base who are really uh, going to make the difference. And you're right uh, to your point on states' rights. And this we've talked a lot about electoral politics. I don't mean to go on too long. But let me just say this: Ed. in terms of new narrative. Uh, politicians that serve us, folks, but we have to do some things for ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. As well, the struggle is local. Now, if this, if let's say this, watch this. Ed, if knowing what we know about society today and social media, if Dr. King were to have arrived today, everybody would have said, "Get a Twitter account and form a national organization, and just blow up that way." And then clout chasing is how you build. No, no, no. He did it the right way, just like the Black Panther Party did. They were in the locale in the local communities, building and providing. Dr. King didn't say, we, uh, Montgomery's too small for me. I need to have a national organization and a Twitter account. He went from Montgomery to Birmingham to Selma and on and on. Folks, the struggle is local, especially when it comes to police reform, because police are governed locally. So, so you really got to get focused there and hold local politicians accountable. Democrats went to sleep when it comes to state elections in 2020 down ballot. That's why we're losing on the gerrymandering. So that's the other narrative we have to change as an electorate and as and as and as people who are organizing for our own freedom. The local level is as important. And lastly, you know, not to beat the reparations horse too much, it's that's happening on a local level too. States and locales taking up the issue of reparations. That's important. So, folks, we've got to keep that in mind as well. 
Ed, you like me, folks call us every day. Hey, Ed, hey, Mark, I'm thinking about running for U.S. Senate. Well, wait a minute, hold, hold it, hold it. Don't, don't nobody know you. You've not, <laughs> start, imagine what you can do mm-hmm. as a, and if people don't get now, how important being a state representative is as we're losing these gerrymandering races. If you don't get that today, you never will get it. So, so that's part of the narrative. And so when you talk about states' rights, we need to combat states' rights ourselves by engaging in more struggle at the state level. Let me ask you finally um, to prognosticate for me uh, after midterms, what's your expectation? Man, I don't know. It's, it's, it's scary because they're saying Joe Biden is going to run for re-election. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an ageist person, but I, I, that concerns me. And it also concerns me for the reason I said before. What's the bench? Um, the, 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 the number one person coming off the bench is under constant attack. I don't think that's a coincidence. In fact, there have even been some, some empirical data that's come forward in terms of the number of stories that are negative about her. Frankly, there's also been some data showing how Biden's negative stories have rivaled that of Trump uh, in terms of actual numbers and quantity. So, so there's a problem. And those who are responsible for dealing with that need to really get it in gear and figure out what's going on, I, I'm very concerned about that. And I fear that we're moving in a direction where, where Trump could, could be reelected in. Um, Folks, we sh- I just don't think that we, our battle is, is only about stopping the likes of Trump. That is part of it, but it, that's defense. Again, it also has to be about offense and getting tangible things we want. Otherwise, I think we may be moving into a period of, of time Ed, when, as an electorate, um, we're basically only playing defense, trying to prevent the likes of January 6th, getting back in power and getting back in the White House. That can be all there is to this. But I fear that's where we're headed if those we want to play offense with us it won't follow the playbook and well, won't run the plays. Whether it's fear or smarts or whatever we want to call it, we need people engaged, and I hope uh, that happens. Hey, man, as we get closer, we'll have you back. Always good to talk to you, brother. Always good to be on with you as well, Ed. Thank you, brother. Big thanks once again to Mark. Remember, you can find his daily show, Make It Plain, wherever you listen to your podcast. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. Every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.